Just a heads up before we start, in this episode we talk about September 11th and terrorism, so if that's something that isn't going to sit well with you, feel free to skip this episode. I'm sure there's a lot more around here that's more lighthearted, and make sure you are taking care of yourself. Now, let the show begin. The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen up. Oh, what did I just finish editing? Nothing as it seems. Yeah, and it's like, oh, it seems like we just talked. <laughs> but that was <laughs> months ago. It actually, ironically, ended up not being too long ago. Because I, th- I think that was probably like, what, like the end of January, mid-January that we did that? Oh, yeah. maybe. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. It was uh, originally we were supposed to do it in November and then I uh, had to cancel because of the family yeah. stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's all one giant big blur. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> no, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, oh, yeah, we did talk not too long ago. Oh, man, it's just it's just all messes me. Up. <laughs> it's just the recording super ahead, super ahead of time and then editing it and then talking to people again and. Yeah, and then you couple that with the the world that we're living in now is like it's like time folding upon itself. Yeah, it's like what are what are what are weekends? Welcome to season seven, episode thirteen of the Better Band Podcast, an all-encompassing trip through every song in the Pearl Jam catalog. I am your host, Brandon Palomo. Each episode, I go track by track with a guest through every album, soundtrack, single, and B-side to discover why you simply can't find a better band. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon today talking with my guest, Patrick Bogle, about the song Bush Leaguer. How's it going, Patrick? It's going very well. Uh, I feel much better about this conversation already because I didn't have any technical hiccups getting connected with you. Oh, heck yeah. Well, see, we get that stuff uh, knocked out in the early conversations and then uh, we get to come back and uh, it's all cleared up, hopefully. That's what technology is, right? Absolutely. I see the wavy <laughs> waves and the sound and it's and it seems like it's good. Heck yeah. Uh, so this song, uh, the music, was by Stone and Stone and Ed collaborated on the lyrics. I believe that Stone had like the uh, the choruses, like the chorus to it. Yeah, he had that, that whole uh, blackout waves uh, through the city uh, worked out. That was like, a, I, I think the basis of a, a lot of his structure of the song was like built around that that chorus. Yeah, that part of the song does seem very dark and ominous, sort of like a a blackout, I guess you could say. Yep, which I think referenced into like what was going on. And I believe I could be wrong, but I think it was in I think it was in California that that was news story. The blackouts that were rolling through. And I guess it was the summer of 2001. Yep. The rolling blackouts uh, just using too much energy and stuff uh kind of uh uh mirroring i guess uh or, or occurring again in uh in texas earlier this year with um their blackouts that they've had uh due to weather and ill preparation i guess yeah uh the song was first played on december 6th of 2002 and it was subsequently released as the showbox dvd so you can uh, see it on there i think it's online on youtube and stuff like that too uh it was the second single question mark released yeah that, that's one of those like little oddities with this because it was like it definitely was released i've got the little seven inch it's a great little tidbit from that time but it's like it was released sort of more like a as like a special promo release versus like an official single i don't it's it was weird it was a not a little release between what was it did i and mine become before save you i can't remember which one was first yeah i am mine was first and it and it had bush leaguer on it as well or at least some versions of it had uh had bush leaguer on it yeah and then uh november 15th 2002 it was quote unquote released even though yeah like you said those those seven inches say like promo on them and then save you and then love 
Love Boat Captain. Yeah. Which I think the Love Boat Captain that's out, I think it also says promo on it. I'm not sure. It, it the the songs on it. If you had the uh, the I am mine import and the save you. I mean, you got all the B-sides for Riot Act, so it's not like you needed Love Boat Captain then or Bush Leaguer. Unless you need to have everything then. Of course you have it. Yes, there are. This was this was the phase where I was like weaving out in and out of like having everything. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted the seven inch single, but I was like, okay, do I need the other, you know, seven inches versus the CD maxi single? So it's like, you, I don't think this one, I feel like Bush Leaguer was only on vinyl. Yes. I don't think that there was like, a, 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 yeah, so there wasn't even a CD version of this, right? Yeah. So. And then Love Boat Captain was only CD. So, right. Yeah. Just those weird, weird off ones, I guess. Um, let's see this, this song, the riff and the way that it sounds, if you're listening to the, uh, to the album version, it sounds super metal, <laughs> at least to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like the, and with the, the vocals set to it is like somewhat almost jarring with the, you know, with it being more of like a spoken word piece, mm-hmm. but it does, it sounds like it has a very like quasi heavy metal feel. The, the guitar has a, a strange tuning on it to the uh, the low string is tuned down to B, which is uh, like getting into seven string territory. And uh, then the other strings are G, D, G, B, D with a capo on it as well. So but the capo is skipping the uh, the low E string. So it, it he does like something behind it, something behind the capo to get it uh, in, in some of the, the real low parts in the uh, in the pre-chorus. That's like uh, such a very stone thing like to to create sound density was <laughs> to to play with like i'm gonna have a capo i'm gonna have a tune differently i'm gonna have to like tap through it and it's funny when you hear him talk nowadays about like how um you know like trying to be sparse and and simple and deconstruct things to the point where it's like you know the the less the better and but there were so many ways he would try to build like intricacy and in, in songs and you know early on obviously this wasn't super early on in, in pearl jam in their career but it's, it was certainly in the first half. Yeah, so it's definitely like, okay, uh, here's a tuning for a song, and that's all we're going to do with it. So I was like, okay, <laughs> going to have just one guitar for it, and, uh, you know, that's uh, and that's it. Everything else is, you know, at least keep it on for maybe another song afterwards or something. Yep. Um, the the title Bush Leaguer is usually stylized, the S with a dollar sign yes. in there, and it's a, uh, it's a reference to uh, baseball minor leagues being out in the uh, in the wilderness and the sticks out in the bush you could say yep. uh, there's two like two uh references that that dovetail into this from that bush you know being a bush leaguer but also texas leaguer which comes up in the early on in the um second verse basically and that that's like a the texas leagues was like a place where like you, you don't get out of um and also like it'll be referred to oftentimes of like a, like a, a hit that you would get it would just be sort of like this like flailing pop-up single that would fall into the outfield as a texas leaguer and uh of course uh george w bush was uh manager or owner of the of the rangers for a bit he was a part owner of the rangers part and, owner and um definitely uh never got on the fields to manage but yeah he was part owner of the texas rangers from gosh i don't know i guess it was probably it had to have been before he was governor i'm guessing so it must have been like the late 80s to early 90s yeah this isn't a sports podcast i mean we're just <laughs> it's also it's also a long time ago yeah <laughs> Like a, there's a couple of uh of notable live performances of this song too. If uh if if nobody else knows for some reason, uh there there's uh April first, two thousand three in Denver they played it. That is the so-called quote unquote impaling performance where uh Ed would uh come out wearing a 
George Bush mask and would dance around a little bit and then put the mask on the mic stand and kind of sing to it and have it kind of uh, be there as a, hey, this is uh, this is this is this is what I'm singing about. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Yep. And so then a bunch of people, uh, well, maybe not a bunch of people, but some people walked out during that. Yep. And um, so that 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 actual performance uh, was released on a compilation hot stove cool music uh, that was uh, released for a charity, I believe. That time frame with that, like, like, you know, one of the things that I think Ed talked about it, maybe in the I can't remember, maybe it was in the PJ20 movie. I can't remember exactly when it came up about, you know, the, the way it was positioned in in the news was that dozens walk out mm-hmm. versus thousands stay. And it was, yeah. you know, it's a, like it was that that tour was like ultimately the tour that I actually saw them the most frequently on. And yeah, that probably too. had to do more so with where they um, happened to be playing because they played so many shows and it, you know, they basically did two stints on the East Coast. You know, they did the ran through in the, the spring and then they came back in the summer. And um, so it offered a ton of opportunities me to go see them i saw them at the tail end of april at the philly spectrum on the 28th and then i saw them in albany where i live now on the 29th i did not go to uniondale <laughs> where they played bush leaguer and well i'm sure that's the other one you'll talk about and then i went and i saw them out at state college a, a few days later so i watched sort of like a wave of you know what was going on in the the crowd and at bush leaguer aside there was just like it was just like a weird, like, I, I didn't understand what people didn't think that they were getting into going to a Pearl Jam show. Like, I kind of, it, it doesn't matter to me whether or not I, it's like materially irrelevant whether I agree with them or disagree with them. Mm-hmm. I knew what they're going to say. I knew what they were about and it never offended me. I, I felt like, you know, what, how could he be offended by its ideas and thoughts and but it was a weird time, you know, definitely like especially like the you don't have as you didn't have as much instant information. So the way it sounded that Denver went down sounded far worse than it actually was. Yeah, yeah. And then by the time I saw them on the twenty eighth, I saw some people leave and they weren't playing Bush League or he was just talking about, you know, what was going on politically. And I saw some people stomp out like fools and I was like, well, I just didn't understand again, I go back to like I didn't understand what it was that you didn't think you were getting from a band uh, like Pearl Jam. I didn't I didn't understand where people were lost. It wasn't like something they just found in 2002 and 2003. It wasn't like they were like, hey, let's get hip to this because, uh, you know, I want to be uh, against something. That's, I mean, this was not surprising to me. Let's, I, I guess I'd put it that way, is that what their position was, was pretty clear and it, it didn't surprise me. And I actually, I loved the song on the record. And it's like a very, you know, thought provoking, piece to me in terms of like you know trying to wrap your head what's going around in the world geopolitically but it was definitely interesting to see how things played out in live concerts with reactions but generally speaking i mean we're talking about like a couple of people a night that would be have their feathers ruffled and most everybody else was you know knew exactly what everybody else knew before mm-hmm. was what the band's position was both politically and socially and, and things of that n- nature and you, you can, i don't know i just it always surprised me more that people were surprised than than, <laughs> than the song itself yeah like you said and uh on then at the end of the month april 30th in uh nassau coliseum there's also a huge uh well, not a huge section, but there's a section in uh, Pearl Jam 20 where they talk about it, where uh, people started uh, booing them as at the performance. And I think that the boos actually start where you could hear on the bootleg of it. I think in uh, in Pearl Jam 20, they kind of uh, turn up some of the boos yep. and stuff like that that you'll hear. But if you're li- listening to the actual bootleg of it, you don't really hear the boos start until he pours the wine into the mask. Yeah, the mix is definitely a little bit different to accentuate the situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you, you, listening to it, it's kind of like, it's like, no, it doesn't really seem like it's, there's kind of like a little bit there. And then once they're done with the song, you can hear more. And then, um, you know, it starts talking to, uh, talking back to the audience and stuff. I busted out the nice suit for you, yeah? You didn't like that one. (laughs) 
I don't understand. Maybe, maybe you like him because he's going to give you a tax cut. Maybe you like him because he's a real guy that relates to you because he's so down home. I'm with you, USA. I just think that all of us in this room should have a voice in how the USA is represented. And he didn't allow us our voice. That's all I'm saying. We love America. I'm standing up on a stage in front of a big crowd. I worked at a goddamn drugstore. I love America, right? This is good. This is open, honest debate. And that's what it should be. If we keep this back and forth, keep this back and forth, good things will happen. If you don't say anything, you don't know what'll happen. Because we are on the brink of forever. And if we don't participate on where this thing is going, when we're the number one superpower in the world, you want to have a part in it and make sure it's a good thing, yeah? Plus or minus, be active. This is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Did you do? You, do you think the pour, the pouring of the wine is is kind of a a reference to a waterboarding? Oh wait, no, they weren't. Were they doing that yet? The the Iraq War had just started. Yeah, I, they, <laughs> I don't think. Uh, I don't that, think the waterboarding was known by any stretch at that point. I don't think anybody. I think. I don't think. I don't think that that even was known before the 2004 election, to be honest. I think that that was like that stuff started to leak out yeah. after that. I feel like it became it became more of an issue post. Yeah, with the pictures from Abu Ghraib and yep. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Cheerful stuff. Well, you know, it's it's a it's a crazy thing, you know. I think about like it's like just even thinking about this that week of when they played at Uniondale and shows I was going to and then like probably you know I have to you know flip back to March when I think it was March is when when the actual the war began yeah and I was like in a deli near where I was working at the time and at that point I I used to live in you know right before that I had lived in Manhattan for a number of years and um, in April of 2001 uh, right before my daughter was born we moved out of Manhattan and so we were about 20 miles outside of the city um, I still worked in the city at, at that point um, and then you know the events of September 11th happened um, a series of other things transpired both uh, just like you know economically and whatnot that ended up with job switching and, and things of that nature but that's uh, that's that's for another podcast and uh, I just remember being at this deli in March getting lunch and they had at the time cnn i guess was on and you know they had done that whole thing with like you know it was almost like a prepared type of military exercise where they were going to embed journalists and it was going to be very different than what happened in you know vietnam and things of that nature where it wasn't you know as it just wasn't as I guess controlled uh, to some extent, and it was just so weird to watch because it was being presented almost like an entertainment show. Mm -hmm. You know that you know here they go rolling into Iraq, and I remember thinking to myself, "This is so weird." Like I'm sitting here having a sandwich, and what the hell is happening to these people in this country that are ha probably have no idea what is like. <laughs> why there's tanks and planes rolling in on them because it just was you know it wasn't entirely clear i mean like casting aside the fact that they you, there's reams of evidence they had a bad leader 
uh, over there. Nevertheless, you know, their mindset couldn't have been like, please come roll through our cities and just create destruction. But it was like for the U.S., it was more it felt like entertainment versus Mm -hmm. reality. Like it wasn't, uh, you know, we were were able to sit away from it uh, and it was just, it was bizarre. It was like very striking to me to see that. And it's like people's mindsets were all over the place at the time. You know, there was obviously a lot of pent up fear, anger, all of those different things from what happened two years prior. But it was, it, it was a really bizarre place to see us get. And, you know, it's like, yes, Bush, obviously, and his administration were at the top of the of the pyramid. But I mean, we had a full on government push to do it. There was very little opposition. And when you look back at it historically, there was a small percentage of the House of Representatives and only about like less than I think it's like less than a third. I think it's probably way less than a third of uh, of the senators that voted against it. And then when you double back and you look at something like the Patriot Act, it was even worse. I mean, you had one one senator opposed the Patriot Act. And that thing's been reenacted in endlessly since it was put in in 2001. So mm-hmm. it was just a, it was an odd time. It was definitely a, a tense time, you know, and I guess like the thing that I remember most about it was like, you know, prepping out to go see those shows. It was like they had had so many bad things sort of happen out of the blue to them. I think there was like the in the back of my mind thinking like, oh, you know, I hope they don't play Bush Lear because it's going to be like, you know, just people's tensions could rise. And then by the time it happened, when Denver happened, I remember talking to a a few of my friends who I was going to be seeing shows with along the way. I was like, fuck it. I hope they play it every night. You Mm -hmm. know, (laughs) at that point I was like, if this is, if this is like how people are going to present the idea that you're going to have the opportunity to voice your opinion is to just moan. And, you know, in some of the news, what you you would get the typical, I know there was a story on Fox News at the time, you know, that was basically the, you know, shut up and sing type of uh, story. I don't know what the exact headlines were, but I know that happened. Um, I, I remember at least that much. And it's just like, what? doesn't make any sense that's that but that is like the idea that there's no voice and no ability to question things and that entertainment is just meant to be like rock out man uh Mm -hmm. is alien to me you know so so i know like i grew up on long island was born there it's very different place i know that they had a lot of uh loss of life from september 11th and so there was a lot of stinging wounds and yet i thought you know, you look at it, people need to become a little bit more news literate and things because we ended up attacking a country that had nothing to do with what happened two years prior. Mm-hmm. But people tried to play connect the dots in a way that was was crazy, you know, and it's those types of things like fear is a, you know, and it gets into it in the lyrics, you know, it's a it's a powerful influencer. When you're afraid, you'll allow yourself to potentially do things and act on things that are unseemly. Yeah, drilling for fear makes the job simple. Mm-hmm. There was also the uh, the weapons of mass destruction uh, lie that was, uh, I think, the the main factor that uh, got us into Iraq. Yeah, that, that was yeah. well. I mean, there was there's a series of things that go all the way back to like 1993, 94, 98, and you know, and that's like you'd have to you have to drill down the geopolitical landscape to <laughs> to go there. But you know, the one of the things that happens as like a result of uh, of an event like September 11th. When information is missed, then what what starts to happen is you have people then being tasked with now find all the information always. Mm -hmm. And when you're now trying to like sort of retroactively make up for something that you didn't see the first time, you start looking at things and pulling things together that seemingly potentially you think makes sense, but don't, you know, you look at the CIA and the, the collaboration with other, you know, other countries and their, you know, information services that they had. I mean, they thought everything, you know, was quote unquote credible. And there was lots of news organizations that vetted the information that said it was credible, but it's really, it was like trying to find needles in a haystack. I mean, you just don't, Typically speaking, criminals try not to send big, giant signals out, <laughs> um, even even awful, you know, dastardly ones that, you know, you look at. But, you know, it's like it's one of those 
those things where I hope I hope at some point in time there's somebody that can like can, can go back and do a documentary not dissimilar to what Ken Burns uh, did for the you know looking back at the Vietnam War, which I, I just mm-hmm. ended up watching like the second time earlier last year, and it's just like you get the wider scope of all of the pieces and components that get into something that that get you from point A to Z. And I think that that's unfortunately like it's when you're living it in real time and it's you look back and you're like, it's, you know, almost 20 years since, you know, since September 11th. But beyond that, the, these wars have been going on almost nearly as long. And it's like, when do you get an, a, like a clear analysis of how this all came to be and transpired? And, you know, mm-hmm. who's who are all of the players and things? You, you only see bits and pieces and glimpses, you know, and it, it extends long before the date of September 11th, 2001. It goes back decades before Desert Storm, even. Oh, long before. I mean, it goes back to the mid-70s, you know, and in, yeah. I mean, in many ways, it goes back to the, the mid-60s. Like, it just, it's like a cycle of, you know, how these things go. And it's like, you get like a, you get a lot of these people who think that they're making choices that are beneficial and or, you know, nation building or like restructuring nations. And they don't, they can't think outside of the moment. They don't think of the repercussions and like, you know, how, how time isn't like, you know, a static point where you can just like hit a stamp and like done, we finished that. And now we move on. And un- unfortunately what happens is you have like all of these weaving interactions that get you to a place and it's uh, not something that you can, if you look to try to create a story around a thing that you need to accomplish, you can find enough people that will try to unearth that. If that's the goal, that's what will happen. And that's basically what the repercussions were from September 11th. It was the, you know, you had basically people in places that didn't catch a signal the first time seeking out and looking for other areas to stomp it out. And it's a, it's a, that's a dangerous door to open and a dangerous road to go down. Yeah, it's it's you know it's making waves. It's throwing a, a a rock in the middle of a pond and seeing it ripple out. And I think that it kind of Ed made the statement at the Nassau show. He says we're at the brink of forever, and you kind of look at the things in front of you and don't realize too much about what led you to that point, and then what's going to go past that point for the things that you have that you're doing right now. That's going to affect the things in the future and, and geopolitical aspects to that, and also environmental and climate change stuff going on with that too. And it's kind of like, ah, you know, do I want to try to zoom out and see the big picture and be overwhelmed, or do I only want to be lazy and deal with just what I have in front of me? And chant usa usa yeah i mean it's and and i think a lot of it has fallen on the way that uh we consume and not i can't even say we because it's uh the way that politics has been taken by a lot of people lately and this isn't even something that's been you know obviously you could go back to the very beginnings you could go back to roman times and you can find similar patterns um but right now somehow in these last like 20 years and it just continually seems to like get uh accelerated our our political dialogue on things has become so sport like Mm -hmm. and so it's funny like when you have the sports references in this in the song because it's it's so much more team-based and you know like do and don't do and it's uh jarring you know to an extent like you know that there's betweens of extremes but it doesn't seem to be something that that makes its way through on an information basis right now we seem to be information illiterate in some extent like we don't do a good job of producing and consuming news information that is based on clear-cut information and storytelling versus emotion and opinion is like builds up so much of it now it's like I, I look at stuff like when I watch news, I, I tend to like watch things like the BBC where it's not, <laughs> it's very more like, here's what's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one of the downsides of having like a news cycle and entertainment cycle that we have, because that's kind of what it has become. I mean, we've got like channels that are expressly dedicated to 24 hours of just jarring information 
in a specific way and it's uh and it that's not that doesn't lead to good outcomes because it gives people that don't have a good platform to sort of digest ideas you know, it begins to support its own story. And then when you do it every day of the week, multiple hours of the day, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, it's, it's because it's like, it's, you know, like a, a religion in that sense. Like, and most people don't live their lives that way. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. most people, it doesn't matter where, you know, where you are, whether you're in the United States or you're in Iraq or you're in Britain, like most people can't really focus that way. It's just not how their daily life is structured. But for whatever reason, it's become like a popular means of uh, digesting news and information. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a weird time to live in, especially with so much, so much quick and easy digital information these days. It's hard to, uh, to sift through things. I mean, this must be like a hyperinflated way of, of what happened when the printing press slowly began to change time, mm-hmm. you know, t- change, you know, perceptions years and centuries ago because it unleashed the ability for people to communicate in a different way. And that's kind of like we've been in this like weird echo chamber of, of different things. And it just has, uh, has barreled out of control. And it, at that time, that was a lot of it. And it was like the Patriot Act, that thing was written up and put in and voted on. I can't, I don't think it even got out of September of 2001 before that was done. Yeah. This all was like then, to some extent, it was brought out to the world stage over a period of time. It wasn't quote unquote rushed into, but it certainly wasn't, there was never like a clear cut case of, well, that's definitely happening. We should take care of that. It was all very innuendo based and could be, and we should stop it because it could be. And it's, and you know, again, that's, that's a road, like a door, you open that path. It's a ripple in time. That's incredibly dangerous. And here we are today. We're still in all of these places mm-hmm. executing still these wars and these like, you know, at least quasi sort of extensions of them. And it's, you know, it leaves you scratching your head and wondering, my daughter has been alive going on 20 years and we have had war going on in that entire time in this region in some way, shape or form, whether it was like heavy boots in the ground in Iraq or just military operations of some nature going on. And it's, it's, it's crazy to think about that that's been going on for two decades. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. You went through a lot of stuff. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it's, there's a lot of talk about that uh, April 30th show. I don't understand. Like I said, I, I don't understand people's reactions to things. I don't think anything was done that was so disrespectful. Mm-hmm. I always wondered, like, was that the best place to do it? I don't know. You know, like it, it just seemed odd. Like there were so many other shows that they had leading up to that. And they they chose <laughs> they cho- did choose a, a particularly bold place to decide that hey, we're going to put the flag right back down on on this night. But. Again, at the same time, it's like that, that thing of like, as a, I didn't, I knew people who died on September 11th. I knew people that, you know, that I grew up with. I knew people that I had worked with that were all over the spectrum in terms of who they were and what in the world and life. And, you know, maybe in the days after that, I could easily say that I was angry, disillusioned, uh, all of those different things. But as time went on, it became kind of clear to me, like, you have to try to see all of the stuff that was happening, not for that day and that event. Um, and certainly if you're going to do that, you've got to see it with some clarity of like, what does each action that's, that we're going to take or, you know, we're going to take as a government or as a world power is going to mean. And it, it, I don't think anyone in that audience that was upset was capable of doing that. Their viewpoint was just anger, and uh, and therefore, if you weren't on the go team go side, then you know you don't get it. And mm-hmm. I, I I think one thing that gets overlooked in that performance is the end when Ed and the crowds chanting USA, and he's like, you know, I'm with you. He's just, I think we should all be able to have a voice, and you know, that's. That's really what it's about. It's like we, you should be able to say no or I disagree, and it shouldn't come with such a heavy, a heavy hand of ridicule. Um, yeah, you know, it happened to Dixie Chicks or, or whatever. What are they now? The the Chicks um, and uh, a couple of other bands at the time that you know had come out and spoke out against the war, and people freaked out about it. And it was like, it, what is the problem with 
alternative sort of viewpoint or a alternate discussion point, but people weren't ready to have it to some extent. And obviously time has borne out that uh, regardless of what anybody's opposition was, um, because I do think that there were reasons for opposition sometimes weren't clear or necessarily like built in any better, you know, fact at times than the, the information that was trying to gear up towards this war as it was. But um, it's hard to imagine a scenario like looking back on it where you can't unravel the fact that like the process of coming to this conclusion was ill-advised, poorly thought out, poorly managed, badly handled, and had dire consequences that are, are still are still to this day impacting people's lives. There's, I think a lot of it has to do with, like you're saying, just kind of being two sides and being a team and everything like that and not wanting to be, not wanting to think that you are wrong or have been wrong. Like the whole sort of, oh, we're going to say that the 1619 project is uh, full of crap and, you know, white people never did anything wrong and it's all about the 1776 project, single web page or I don't know, whatever the hell it was. But uh, th- that, that sort of thing, and there's evolutionarily, there is like a part of your brain that is made to be tribal because, you know, we had smaller groups of families and tribes and stuff when we were, you know, first being humans and stuff, because, you know, you want to be around the people, you know, because you don't know about people that you don't know about. So they could mean to do you harm. They could be trying to come after you. It's kind of like, okay, I know who my people are and I know those people. And that's a part of our brain that has always been there. And so it's kind of stepped out into things to either nationalism or to race or to sports or to politics now. And so when somebody attacks somebody in your tribe or when somebody attacks your beliefs, you see that as your brain uh, reacts to that, like you're actually physically being attacked. And because it's a it's a it's a questioning, I guess, of your own existence. And it's sort of like, oh, well, if I can't believe that, then who am I? Because I belong to, you know, a part of this of this group. And so, you know, you can't you can't try to take me down because uh, I won't exist then. I won't know who I am. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it's like the almost the quasi religious aspect of it. I mean, that's, that's something mm-hmm. that I've always like tried to say to people is that, you know, I grew up in a Roman Catholic family. I am no longer religiously practicing. And like, I try not to judge anybody who does. And yet I do find that when I experience myself back in that environment, and I will always find myself there, whether it's uh, for, you know, weddings, funerals, some other thing, I just find it puzzling, you know, now that I've been out of it for so long. And I think some, to some extent that tribal teamism is, is the same thing. Like I was getting at when you're constantly inside the political sphere, when you're constantly digesting that information, you know, you're, you're basically in many ways, you just, you're feeding yourself the cycle of, of that one feeling, that one story that, that makes you feel my tribe is good. My tribe is correct. It has completely unintended but potentially bad outcomes because we begin to not be able to have basic conversations because like you said we get upset or or freaked out that our our, our world's going to unravel based on it and it's you know it's it's much more it's always much more complex and less devastating than that and and people saying it's like oh i just want to listen to the music i you know there there are people who like who don't pay attention super you know breaking down lyrics and everything like that. So it could be just, oh, you kind of hear this music and it's kind of like, okay, yeah, cool. You don't really see the sort of um, illusions in even flow, say, to uh, to people who are unhoused or see sort of a child abuse aspect in daughter or something like that. You're just kind of like, oh, yeah, it's just music and I'm not really paying attention to the words and stuff like that. And so he's like, oh, they, they got too political. Oh, keep politics out of music. Just yeah. be entertaining and stuff. And, and and people who say that are, they. it's not that they don't want politics and music. They are politics and their entertainment. They just want the politics that they agree with because 
it's you don't have a problem with what people say until they say something that you don't agree with. I mean, it happens on all sides, yeah. really. And that's and that's the thing. It's like you know, ideas are meant to be challenged with 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 thought and and other ideas. If bad, if ideas are bad, take down those bad ideas by proving how they're bad ideas versus you know shouting the shouting the shouting down is the worst aspect of it like if, if you can't articulate a thoughtful argument of why then um you know you're bound to go to the the shout of the the simpleton idea like that element of just play the music i mean you know you preference a bunch of songs i think all one of the funniest things i always think about when i hear and i say things like that especially in the pearl jam sphere is like what did you think hunger strike was about mm-hmm. i think of it was like yeah somebody needed a sandwich because they were like it was a long day i mean <laughs> the lyrics in that aren't that hard to like articulate and i guess i go back to that idea i'm I'm laughing i'm trying not to be like you know dismissive of it but like this this is the nature of this of this band and you and it doesn't matter i guess it's it's never mattered to me whether or not i agree with them on a, a political or social issue mostly i do i think that just sort of you know maps out for the most part i don't always it's not everything but i'm never offended by it i'm never like gosh, my world has come crashing down. It's always made me think and like try to be a little bit more open and better. I mean, Mm -hmm. like the music and art that I've been exposed to definitely changed who I was and and things that I thought about when I was way younger. And uh, I hope that I'm the better for that. I mean, I I, I think those things are like, it's useful. It's like, it's it's part of the process of, of consuming information. It goes back to that thing of being information literate, you know, consume the stuff, and if you find it flawed, okay, you can come up with a a reason why. But if it's just going to be purely passion <laughs> and, you know, like you're wrong because I am X angry, rah, that's not a, you know, that doesn't get us anywhere. That's not like a, a thing that is workable. It's not something that's tangible that you can, you can create an idea out of. It's just, it's petty. And like I said, like being, being out at shows around this time, like when it just, again, I never was at any of the shows where Bush League was played, um, but I was at shows where they were clearly talking about current events and like to see people just, you know, and again, small, it wasn't like, it's not throngs. It was, but to see some people just like freak out and stomp away, I was like, um, okay, I guess, but you know, that's not going to really help you understand anything to just, you know, go away. But do you? Yeah, there's a, um, I found, I found online a, um, a, uh, it's not a study. It's, it's something written, I think for, um, what is it? It was, uh, it was published by the university of Minnesota, Minneapolis by Christine Weglars, I believe. Um, and she kind of puts the lifting of the curse of alive and kind of compares that to the uh negative reactions that people have had to bush leaguer and it's pretty interesting and basically it kind of breaks down to Pearl Jam for so long throughout their career sort of invited the fans in and said, hey, you know, we stopped making videos because we don't want to tell you what our songs mean and we want you to have your own interpretations and, you know, these that's that's what helps make them personal and that's what what really makes the the uh, the people like just basically everybody I've talked to about this band love the band is that it it means so many different things to so many different people and and people can see different things in different songs and have different interpretations of lyrics especially when you know not all the lyrics are printed in all the uh and all the liner notes and stuff for you know especially like the early albums and stuff like that and then with this song it's sort of like especially it's like okay no this is what we think, and this is what you should get out of the song. We're not leaving it open to any interpretation. It's this. And some people sort of saw that as a rejection of Pearl Jam inviting you in at that point, then saying it's like, oh, okay, you're going to say who you are, so we can't put this on you anymore. And and some people could see that as, as, as a rejection uh, from the band. Sure. That actually makes a lot of a lot of sense um you know in terms of how people could have reacted to it but again i mean to me it's like it's it's one statement of many like you could you could like there's so many different things that you could agree on in the spectrum mm-hmm. of their music and art and and you might not agree with this but you could respectfully disagree you could 
you know, okay, I'm not going to clap or I'm, you know, going to be like, uh, eh, you know, and maybe not excited about them playing it or whatnot. You might skip it when you listen to the CD. You might not listen to it. You might not have gone out and bought the seven inch like I did, but it's not if it's that pull of the bandaid where by doing this, I have to pull off completely and this disentangle from everything. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's uh, that's unfortunate because then you miss a great deal of things potentially. And I suspect that there were people that did um, completely walk away. I don't know if they ever came back um, or some people completely walked away and never came back or came back later. And, you know, again, you still miss you miss things in between and you miss, you know, a different phase of of how they think about things. But I I can't fault them for having an opinion stating an opinion and standing by it. I mean, that much I'll always give them credit for, regardless of whether I agree with them at any point in time, is that they genuinely don't seem to jump into things as a fad. Their beliefs and things are generally grounded in sound thoughtfulness. And like I said, you don't have to necessarily agree with that, but I can't take them for tasks as being uh, just the flavor of the day that's not what they've ever been about you know they've stuck to their guns and you know i think a lot of their feelings at that time are are multiply complex i mean they it's amazing that they were even still a band after what had happened a couple of years prior so Mm -hmm. they felt they felt like a you know different sort of place of what they have needed to do and you can nitpick about that i've heard people nitpick about like all oh, their consistency on things and you could do that i guess but i mean you could do that endlessly with anybody on their point of view on on things as to like find the the flaw somewhere along the way and that's that's all well and good i guess but it's not it's not necessarily getting to the core answer which is the individual's rejection of it it's not pearl jam's fault or eddie vetter's fault that you felt bad about this song you know that's yeah at the end of the day it's on you how you react to the information that's that's given to you mm-hmm. you're not beholden to to have to drive around your car and blast this if you don't want to it's easy to it's easy to not consume something that you don't want to consume, uh-huh. but then to demand that other people don't is a little bit beyond uh, beyond the pale to me because I just feel I'm a huge advocate on the ability for people to to speak their mind and potentially be wrong, but you know uh, I think they need to be able to say things because that's be an awful scenario if you actually have your ability to say words be stifled because that's that would be a world that we don't want to live in because it could get into a tangled spiral that is difficult to unwind. So they haven't played this song since 2007. Do you think they're going to ever bring it back? <laughs> I don't see like, you know, how it would ever really fit. I remember, I remember last year, like b- before, obviously the tour being postponed, like people talking about, oh, they should change it to Trump leaguer. And it was like, okay, you don't understand you don't understand what this was about and you don't understand like sort of like it's it's not like something where you just like update it. It didn't wouldn't have made any sense. I, I don't see I just don't see it. It was this is a is very much a period piece, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's not like I still enjoy, you know, listening to it a couple of times that I listened to it recently just to like, you know, get back into the frame of mind of what this was about and trying to get in the frame of mind of the time. But I can't I can't figure out how it would ever fit into a sort of modern set list for them. I guess if there was like some, you know, weird new Jeb some something where <laughs> where he come up, which is odd in of itself. I don't want to even get into Jeb. He's probably one of the the few bushes who's probably <laughs> Uh, politically not uh terribly offensive to me um but uh that would that would be weird if he was uh gonna try to make a bounce back i guess sort of ish but again and this is still unique to the character of the president at the time i mean it's hard to imagine a world where it would make sense for them to to resurface this Mm -hmm. uh and play it again do you think they should have possibly made it more metaphorical and obtuse then? So it's a lot more evergreen and not really, not really like a fad, something that is just like super of the time. That's kind of like, okay, this is going to, this is pretty much going to have a limited run and, and we can't really do anything about that. And so it's, it's, it's born to die, I guess. 
I think that goes to the ethics of what they've always thought of as a band or, you know, where they got certainly got to when they sort of, you know, collectively survived the early 90s, you know, to get to the the post vitology era where they, mm-hmm. you know, ended up being able to sort of choose their own adventure, if you will. You know, they were always inspired. I Maybe it was during the uh, Lightning Bolt uh, interviews that uh, I think they're still online where Jeff and Matt was talking about, you know, what Neil Young you know, sort of gave them and he gave them the sort of an idea of like, you don't have to give a fuck. Like you do what you do and you do you and you don't, doesn't matter as long as you feel what you're doing is true and your views. Um, And they were really, you know, his articulation of that was that, you know, that that was a, a thing that stuck with them. So I don't I couldn't see like trying to make the song sort of obtuse so that it has legs past the time. I think, I mean, it was it was about how they felt. And I think it was important that they say it this way. So to try to set it up so that you could play it, I don't know. I think it's I think it's better in the more the song itself lives in in illusion or, you know, in ter- it's to a certain extent that the words allude to different things with how it's set up. But I, I think it would be odd for it to be kind of cagey mm-hmm. in its approach. I think it it was what it was. And, you know, he obviously I, I can't even imagine him not having a view like he must have thought when when he heard this and he finally got the lyrics, he must have been thinking about I'm breaking out the jacket frogs gave me um, <laughs> i mean and that's again that goes to that's part of art you know that's part mm-hmm. of the the theater of of stage you know and it's like it, it's semi that it, that was as little like you know small dalliance with like the what bono did to himself post joshua tree into octone baby where he took that character on where he was the fly and all of that which you know <laughs> that goes into a a whole different realm but you know that's that's <laughs> that's stage that's art that's you know that's what it's about and i it would be it'd be hard to imagine a, a scenario where this would have been better if it was less in the moment and less of the time mm-hmm. i mean i think it's it's their way and his way of saying this is how i feel about this and in some ways you know for better or worse when they did it because let's face it, at the moment, you just never knew. I mean, you didn't know where things were going to go, but history has probably been pretty clear that uh, regardless of what your what your motivations of opposition were, that uh, opposing that war has borne itself out to be a good side to be on because it, it, it did not go off in the planning and the direction that uh, was articulated and it never uncovered any of the things that anybody thought would be there. So mm-hmm. I, I think in many ways it's ballsy to make a, you know, to make a statement like this, cause you could never know this could, <laughs> this could have been a weird thing to look back on years later. Like yeah. that was weird to say that about that event, but you know, they felt strongly and, and here it is, you know, two decades later, it's, it's, uh, it's very right in many respects. And of course, uh, what 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 way to be more pro troop, I guess, than to not want them to? Yeah, I mean that's a that's the other aspect of it. Like I think that came out at that time was that like the sort of the humanity of understanding. Like they had guys in the crew that you know that was what they did. They were they were do multiple jobs in your life. You're because you're not touring every day, so to make money, you know, these, a lot of these guys were, were, you know, in the army reserve and whatnot. And they had guys that they worked with go over there. And then, you know, that's, that's a lot of what it comes down to is like, you know, you start to see people that, you know, are going to used to be hanging in your lighting rigs and, you know, doing your stage setup and, you know, tossing back a, a beer with you backstage after a show or suddenly thrust into a foreign city with bombshells going off and, and planes dropping bombs and all of that nonsense and, and it's got to be unsettling you know and i don't think again i don't think any of that came from a place of like uh again it's not like fictitious it was it was real you know it was real to them they were mm. they knew people that were going to be put in harm's way and uh that's got to be an unsettling feeling like i didn't i knew people that joined the army post september 11th Uh And I knew them in the sense like I had gone to school with them or whatnot. I did not like have not seen them since then. I sort of like anecdotally heard about things that they've experienced 
And not everybody's experience is is the same. They, the people take away different experiences from being, uh, you know, on the ground there. But if I knew somebody directly, I can't even imagine how I would feel about them being put into that situation, particularly in hindsight, knowing, you know, how things have played out. That's just, uh, it's not a scenario where you could easily like live through that and not have some type of emotion about it. Mm -hmm. So they were doing that every night. I mean, that was part of it. Like too, like the things that I saw people walking out on, like what I alluded about in Philadelphia at the spectrum was like, just like the notion of like, Hey, we're, you know, we don't want our friends to be over there. And then people stomping out mad, Oh, play, play damn music. I'm like, (laughs) they're not making this up. I mean, they're, (laughs) they're talking about like things that matter to them that are real. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I can't fault them for it, for feeling and having that opinion. That's like, uh, I think you'd be at least somewhat crazy not to have some hesitation where regardless of where you fit on the spectrum about people being sent into a war zone. Uh, to bring it back to the song a little bit, this is really, this gives uh, Jeff and Mike, I think, a uh, sort of playground here to kind of go crazy listening to Jeff. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's really getting in there at the bass. And Mike's uh, making all his uh, sounds and everything like that. Yeah, they, I mean, you could see that this sort of like uh, the interplay and, and the cake, almost chaos that Jeff's got going on in the bass. Like, mm-hmm. you can feel the excitement of him playing this. And you know, like, you've seen him say it. He, he would have played this every night. They would, he would, they would, would, would have played it all the time. I think Mike yeah. was on a little bit of the opposite spectrum. He was like, I don't know, I want to play that again. Uh, you know, just based on how they, they felt about that. But it's a great soundscape. I mean, again, this like the complexity of the music that was put into this and like the, all of it, the intricacy and allowed them to really create like a dark sort of sinister tale. If you didn't even have lyrics to this and just called it Bush Leaguer, you could court, sort of you could sort of get it, I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just based on the movements and the, the interplay of the different instruments, you would get the vibe of what was going on. So it's it's a, a really great sound layer that sits on top of this more or less spoken word outside of the chorus. Is there anything else about this song that you think that we need to cover? I guess the one thing that I have always wondered is the refrain that I remember when you sang that song about today, now it's tomorrow, everything has changed. Mm-hmm. I'm always intrigued about what he was getting at there. Um, and I don't have... If it's an actual reference to something or if it's... Yeah. And it's just like, uh, you know, and maybe maybe I'm like missing sort of something that is more obvious than I've ever thought. But that that's always like stuck with me about like, what is he getting at there? Hmm. So if anyone has an answer, email me. (laughs) (laughs) What about the, uh, the sort of added in line that's not in the song, the, uh, like sugar, the guests are so refined. And then it says, look like melting M&Ms. Yeah. That's an interesting little parenthetical nod there that, uh, that fits into that spot. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what, cause like M&Ms, like they melt in your mouth, not in your hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, I've never, I've never like truly seen the, or does it like the idea of melting M and M's is that like uh, all of the colors blend? I don't know. Uh, it's, uh, it's definitely 
It's a, it's a weird little, it's one of those weird little notes that gets left in, uh, you know, random songs that, uh, that you're, you're left going, huh, what was that about? Why does he got that there? Yeah, because uh, if you take all the color off, they would all sort of just look the same, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, well, there's that, yeah. there's that. Yeah, so maybe it's kind of like, oh, all the, the people there from both sides of the aisle or whatever who are just uh, there for the money or whatever are, you know, they could be from either dem- either political party they're just all the same i guess yeah or uh i don't know yeah it's like that that element of uh yeah i it's that's it's a striking sort of uh element that he leaves dangling there and you don't (laughs) you don't you don't like i i have to imagine that probably more than half of pearl jam fans don't even know that that exists on the liner Mm -hmm. notes to some extent but it is a it is an interesting juxtaposition and it's one of those things like where over a few tequilas or whatnot, you would love to be able to just like, hey, what did you mean here? What were you doing? <laughs> and then he'd probably come back and be like, I don't know. I just I typed it in the parentheses. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about uh, I was thinking about uh, uh, Van Halen and they wanted the M&Ms out of the thing. And, you know, I just kind of put it in there. <laughs> And it's it's funny because I mean the, for the most part the rest of the the lyrical structure it's I, I don't want to say it's clear but it's it's certainly you know well put together I mean all of the ideas of a confidence man why so beleaguered he's a lead not a leader a Texas leaguer all of that reference of you know he's not who you want to be the swinging for the fence got lucky with a strike that we already talked about the drilling for fear makes the job simple uh, and I always love the born on third thinks he got a triple. <laughs> it's it's that whole element of the silver spoon in mouth you know it's uh it's a great reference like you know you you're already there and you think you've you've done something fantastic but you just happen to be there and and also live it's it's pretty much always the haves have not a fucking clue yeah and on the record it's it's just the haves have not a clue do you think that there's i don't know because they because they they did this song before the uh before the album came out at the uh yeah at the yeah but in, in the show box and, and and he said it then too so he i don't know str- why it's not like that on the album he likes the f-bomb live it's it's uh it's his thing that's his he likes to drop that there you know whether it's present tense and the, mm-hmm. the, like the the you know change there he i think it's uh you know it's emphasis you know that's like you can see it in his eye in the video for Bush Leaguer from Uniondale. I mean, it's emphasis. It's like, you know, heightened emphasis. It's very dry on the on the record, the spoken word part. It's not, yeah. nothing gets almost no lift in temperament of his voice. But in live renditions all over the place, you know, you'll you'll hear little inflections that, that are meant to like drive home the point of, of certain certain words certain phrases and that's one of them he obviously he does that and and rips into it but i it's that element of point of reference he likes to he likes to do it and he he likes to do it with that particular word <laughs> yeah who doesn't it's it's a fun word yeah. except for kids don't know that <laughs> so i think we're here at the end so let's wrap it up um i'm i'm gonna ask you uh patrick where are you at with pearl jam right now in in your in your listening is it as uh voracious as it was when you were younger or are you listening to just mixes online bootlegs you busting out the vinyl um it's probably at this stage close to as voracious as when i was really getting heavily into them at the sort of versus vitology stage going into to no code where mm-hmm. that was almost primarily what i listened to now like certainly it's not like i listen to a lot more than just pearl jam but i in the last few years found myself back to them in a way that i hadn't been for a while for a variety of reasons I love listening to bootlegs. I love listening to the records now. And there's, there's a, God forbid the word nostalgia element to it. There is, <laughs> but there is a nice a- aspect of being able to go back and listening to the, the actual records and like, you know, trying to consume it and feel what it's like now versus when you heard something earlier. I mean, it's one of, one of the wonderful things about music as a medium is that, you know, it's, it's got a different sort of temper and emotion to it than most other most other mediums do in that, you know, it, it, the sound is, it's alive, you know, and it makes you try to like get inside of it, if you will. 
So I've enjoyed like, you know, the release of Gigaton last year. I mean, obviously I'd hoped to, uh, I think as we all did to, to see some, some shows, but um, mm-hmm. I've enjoyed listening to that record, see where they're, they're at. And I, I like when I put that on, you know, one of the things that I did when they released it is like, I'm just getting the, the vinyl for that. I'm not going to get, you know, a download. Yes. I've, you know, on Sirius here and there, I've heard, you know, where, and they're just playing a track. But for the most part, I'll put that record on and try to listen to it beginning to end as a whole, as a composition to really take it as as one piece and idea. So I, I've enjoyed and I continue to enjoy listening to that. I love, you know, I love dabbling to listen to bootlegs and, you know, shows that I went to, um, I'll pick up and, and put on. And, and then I also like being surprised now and then where, you know, a show that I might not have spend enough time with or thought to listen to um and you know hear either it get played one or two tracks on uh whether it's serious or somebody saying hey i was listening to x bootleg from you know the city and that tour and uh and picking that up and listen to it so i'm listening to them quite a bit and i think what the thing that i like about that is the idea that it's comforting that they're sort of canon if you will is is strong and even the records that maybe don't generate the same type of, of buzz and connectivity as as you know some of the earlier ones i still like to go to like i mean you know lightning bolt is one where i think a lot of people were ambivalent about that hit me at a time where a lot of the songs and um and themes on that i kind of needed mm-hmm. and i go back to that kind of semi-frequently now it's a, it's one that i i don't mind pulling out and it's a great thing to be able to have access to. I mean, they're, it's, it's wild to be a fan of this band and have, have so much musical output that they've got from a live perspective, particularly that you can, you can always tap into. But it's fun to, to weave back into hearing their older records as well as listening to, to the new stuff. Hopefully the, there's going to be opportunities for them to do even a, a little bit more coming out of the last year or so. It sounds like they, you know, from recent interviews that they've done them where they're kind of tinkering. So hopefully that's the case. I always like to hear what they're thinking. It might not be my favorite record when I'm some of the along the way. Uh, it's but yeah. it's I've never been I've never been turned off to the point where I didn't want to hear what they were thinking. Yeah, you'll take yeah, hey, you'll you'll take new stuff. You don't care. It's like yeah, ukulele album. Yeah, sure, whatever. What the hell? Let's uh, just Absolutely. just as long as they're out there and they're and they're creating and they're they're making new stuff. That's the next record. Five ukuleles and <laughs> uh, a maraca. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and thanks for coming on and, and talking with me, Patrick. It's always good to have you on the show. Absolutely appreciate it, Brandon. The Better Brand Podcast is produced by ListenUpReno.com and Brandon Palomo and published using a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 license. Please visit creativecommons.org or email ListenUpReno at gmail.com for more details. All music played is owned by the respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use. You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from betterbandpod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Better Band Pod. I am on Twitter at Brandon P. B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. If you like the job I'm doing here, you can go to ko-fi.com slash Brandon P and leave me a $3 tip. Or give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to tell your friends. If you would like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbrandpod at gmail.com or send me insights and stories you'd like to share and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guest Patrick and as always, this is Brandon saying, all the best bands are affiliated with Satan. Satan.